Thank you for joining us for our new anime podcast. I am Jim Purcell. And I'm Zach Hawkins. And we welcome you to this new show, this new experimental show, where two of us, a couple of anime-loving chuckleheads, kind of just take a stroll down memory lane of all the OVAs and films and short series released on some, mostly on DVD, some recently on Blu-ray, but mostly on DVD back in the um, exciting days of the anime boom. Yeah, nineties, um, um, really, early two thousands and late 80s. early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of stuff. You mentioned DVD and Blu-ray, but a lot of it is still actually stuck in VHS hell. Yeah, yeah. There's more than a few things that I have not made the jump even to DVD. Like uh, Robot Carnival is a good example of that. I know. Uh, something that should be on Blu-ray and DVD sometime in the very near future. Yeah. But I feel like it's been a couple of, like, a year since that was announced, so it's kind of weird that it's still not out yet. Yeah, that's Discotech, isn't it? So they Yeah, Discotech picked that up. Nice. They always do good Blu-rays. But um, we should probably just, you know, introduce ourselves. Um, Like I said, I, my name is Jim, and I've been watching anime uh, since... Officially, I guess since the late 80s, I technically watched a bit of Voltron, a bit of Robotech, but I didn't really get interested in anime itself until the early 90s, when on uh, in, the U- in the U.S. on the Sci-Fi Channel, they would show uh, anime movies and OVAs on Saturday mornings. Uh, I can't recall the exact block's name, but uh, the one that really captured my attention, that really showed me what anime was, was The Venus Wars. One of my mm. earliest anime memories. And then, of course, soon after that, you got the boom, the TV boom period of when Dragon Ball came as Sailor Moon. Yeah, and I, I was a kid through that, so... Yeah. And, of course, I watched a lot of Pokemon, too, growing up. Of course. But, but here's the thing. As much as I do like Dragon Ball, I never really liked Pokemon. I never really... You know, that... And Digimon and those sorts of like toy based stuff because i still had those memories of the venus wars maybe a little bit of a ninja scroll in there too of what uh what what i thought anime was and in the early 2000s when companies like manga entertainment and uh animigo and u.s manga corps were put putting out um well, I guess they've been putting it out all along on VHS, but I missed the whole VHS era because I didn't do a lot of it. Because in my neck of the woods, we didn't have a lot of uh, anime VHSs floating around. So I mm. missed all the, all that period. But when the DVDs started coming out, I was I was a, finally an adult with money, and I started buying the heck out of them. And so all of that older material from the 80s and the early 90s really appealed to me. Uh, Macross Plus, your Ghost in the Shell, your Akira, your Ninja Scroll, your... You know, that sort of thing. And that's all I really was into, and I loved it. Yeah. that's My story's actually not dissimilar in that case. Um, mainly because, obviously, as a kid, I was exposed to stuff that was imported and dubbed over. Uh, in my instance, it was Cartoon Network streaming stuff. I'm not streaming, even broadcasting. Um Dragon Ball was mm. the big one. Dragon Ball Z by that point, and I think they got to Kai by that point. It, I I have very vague memories of that one, but of course Pokemon, but also Beyblade and some other fad ones that I'm probably forgetting because, let's be honest, a lot of things like Beyblade and stuff 
more or less the same. There was a lot of stuff like that. Yes, there was in the early your, 2000s. Your Beyblade and your, your, your Zatch Bells and your... Zatch Although... Bell was one that I don't recall. I might have seen it. But um, for me, my first real kind of exposure to, I guess, the realization that this wasn't just a thing that was made for kids with kind of weird, sometimes cringeworthy voice acting, mm. um, was staying up until about 11 o'clock at night and watching Adult Swim, which at the time was being broadcast in the UK. Adult Swim has got a very patchy history here in the UK. Sometimes it's shown, sometimes it isn't. Right, because you don't have Cartoon Network. You we have... do have Cartoon Network, but oh. it's it, it depends on what satellite provider you have. And right. it's even then, um, licensing a lot of stuff here in the UK for broadcasting through Adult Swim is not the same as it is licensing it in America to show an Adult Swim. So sometimes our schedule can be completely different. And sometimes Adult Swim just won't broadcast at all. They'll just run kids' cartoons on Cartoon Network all night. Um, it's weird over here, is all I can say. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was, it was probably about 2004 that they showed the original Ghost in a Shell. Mm-hmm. Dub, and that was my first real exposure to thinking, "Wow, this is a much bigger thing than just Pokemon and Beyblades." Um, shortly after that, being the Transformers nut I was at the time, I stumbled ah. across Evangelion, and oh, I thought, okay. "Giant robots!" And I threw myself in at the deep end, and I haven't looked back since. And yes, I know they're not giant robots. I just didn't know that at the time. <laughs> oh, of course, yes. But uh, yeah, for a lot of people, Evangelion was their their I wouldn't say entry drug, but their uh. It was the one that the made transition, me realize... The yes. transition. I'd say Ghost in the Shell was my um, my entry drug, and then Evangelion was the thing that made me go, boom. When everything opened up. Mm. Now, I wasn't an Evangelion fan when it first ran in North America. I actually was one of those people who thought it was a little bit pretentious, but that's because, like I said, at the time, I had a certain sense of what I wanted out of my anime, out of my action shows, and I thought Evangelion was playing it too smart for its own good like he was trying to enough but but as i got older i've realized that it's subversions of those those mecha shows like structure is the whole point and i actually do appreciate it quite a bit now yeah but at the time it didn't didn't really click with me evangelion is one of those ones where every couple of years it seems to go reappraisal and then gets knocked down a couple of pegs Mm. Um, and I think those uh, rebuild movies are part and parcel of it to be honest I think it's become such a big sprawling thing now it is um, ironically more mainstream than it probably should be yeah that's the big irony is by trying to create something that was subversive Hideki Anno has accidentally created something that is pretty universally recognized yes it's kind of like Watchmen except he got to keep his rights Ooh, well he got to keep his rights but he sold his soul to the corporate devil anyway but anyway, so the purpose of this show is we're going to, every episode, we're basically going to go back in time and talk about a, a particular OVA or short run series or movie, movie. film um, from that, from, you know, that period of like the late eighties to the early two thousands. We're not going to stray too far out of that range um, just because there's a lot of anime and yes. right, even right now there's a lot of anime coming out and I enjoy a lot of current anime. But I feel, um, I just feel like there, some some of these older releases just ne- don't get enough attention today. And maybe that's just me because I don't have you know a huge you know I don't have a huge anime like support base. It's really just me and a few online friends. 
but I just feel like these these shows and movies are seen more as footnotes rather than you know the the thing that really got me into anime that made me a a, a lifetime fan. So I just want to go back in time and just re-examine some of these shows and just see what appealed to me at the time, um, and and do do they still hold up today? Yeah, it should definitely also be noticed that a lot of the stuff that Jim was brought upon was just kind of a little bit before my time, perhaps five, ten years or so. But a, some of them I have explored in like my own time and stuff. Um, but quite a lot, like in the case of today's discussion, which we're going to be getting to in the main topic in a bit, I will be seeing for the first time. So you're going to be seeing two sides of the fandom here. Yeah, where I saw it close to release he saw it today or yesterday for the this first week, time fresh so, in my memory yes um but before we get to that we should talk uh do you have anything else to say no i think we've um covered ourselves very adequately early on so just before we get into the actual review we should just talk a little bit about um maybe some news um because there's some exciting anime news um coming out that i'm I'd like to just talk a little bit about. Yeah, uh, in particular, um, on the f- we're recording this on the uh, oh, on the fourth. We're recording this on the fourth of January, and tomorrow, the fifth, Netflix is going to be pre- premiering uh, Devil Devilman Crybaby, the latest uh, animated adaptation of Gonagi's classic superhero antihero definitely antihero. Um. And the animation on that is looking damn good. Damn it's good looking, indeed. And it's looking dark as hell, which is what Devilman definitely should be. And and trippy, trippy, psychedelic art style. I'm really digging the trailers. Um, but what's interesting is that's just the tip of the iceberg, because apparently um, this year being the 50th, either last year was the 50th anniversary or this year is the 50th anniversary of Gonagi. Um, there's like a whole bunch of projects of you know based on his work coming out, including uh, Mazinger, a new Mazinger Z movie. Uh, which it looks like a CGI movie, which can be hit or miss, but I do like Mazinger Z. Uh, it's called Mazinger Z Inf- Infinity, and I just found out that it's being licensed by Viz Media, so it will definitely be coming out in North America. Sweet. Uh, which I'm sure I I'll pick up. I strongly suspect that they'll be get licensed over here as well. A lot of the a lot of the more new mechas get picked up for UK release. And it I've seems always... to be the one genre that we do get quite a lot of. I was a big fan of Shin Mazinger Z, which came out back in like the the mid two thousands, which was a. Uh... I dug that one a lot too. I'm damned if I can remember a lot about it, but I seem to remember it was just absolutely crazy as hell. It was a it was a celebration of of Gonagi, I think, and Mazinger Z in particular, and uh, but it was directed by the guy who did uh, the Giant Robo OVA. I don't, you've probably never seen that. I have. I've ironically I've seen the Giant Robo TV series, but not oh. the, but not the anime. <laughs> yeah, Giant Robo the animation we'll get to at some point in this show absolutely because that's a show that that that's a that's an OVA series that needs some love and some examination. But that series in particular was a celebration of. Of of uh, giant robots and superheroes and all kinds of things, and Shin Mazinger Z that series was very similar, but for Mazinger Z. This film looks like it's going to be more you know a traditional Mazinger Z story, but I, I I am really curious as to see it. Yeah, as am I. It's just good stuff. Um, and we just got a 
new trailer for a new Cutie Honey. Uh, it's called Cutie Honey Universe. It's a new Chew. Cutie Honey series. Yes. Um, I don't know a lot about Cutie Honey. Honey is one of the ones I'm not as familiar in. It's always been a bit of a hard sell for me because I. It, it's weird because at the same time I love and I'm kind of cautious of the aesthetic. Mm. But because the, the the trailer's all about is just transform uh, costume transformation. Yeah, I really I, I really dig like kind of Honey's alter ego type thing because she's basically like six or eight people at once. Okay. I think that's kind of cool. Um but at the same time I it, it it's a bit too cheesecakey for me. So I I mean I'll probably check out the first episode. Yeah. But we'll 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 see. I do find it obviously because this is the fiftieth anniversary celebration of a lot of Gona guys work. I don't know what about mm-hmm. what's fiftieth about. Is it fiftieth anniversary of Devil Man? I think it's be. the whatever his first first his first, his first uh, breakout was because I could have yeah. sworn Devil Man was seventy, which is coming up to fifty actually. Um, but um, I don't know; it's pretty cool. It's pretty, and the fact that it's called Cutie Honey Universe, I, mm. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering whether all these projects are gonna because shared universe projects are such a big thing right now. And yep. Go, and Go Nagai was one of one of the few Japanese auteurs who made it very clear that the majority of his works shared a universe. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. I mean, in pre—I know in previous Cutie Honey adaptations they've had Devil Man appear in a couple of episodes. So I see that's happened. Um, well, well, Devil Man's also crossed over with uh, Mazinga Z. He had a movie. Z, he did, and also Cyborg Double Double Zero Nine, which isn't a Nagai work. Is not no, but still, it's really cool. We should probably get to that one at some point. I mean, it's not retro. Yeah, that's it's, actually, it's, it's not retro, but it's it's retro. Yeah, it's a little bit too new for this show, but it is an OVA, and it is short. Uh, and it is good. At least I'll enjoyed it a lot. Yes. I Although I think Devilman get, gets kind of a, a glossed over in that. It's definitely more of a Cyborg 009 show. Yeah. Than, than, a, than a Devilman one, but it, it is... It, was, it, was it animated by... I'm pretty sure it was animated by, uh, shoot, um, Madhouse, so it looks real yes, good. Yes, it does look really good. So yeah, that that's just some, you know, some news of the stuff that's really, like, got my interest recently. Um, looking forward to a lot of that stuff. Alright, so, review section time. Nice. We are going to be talking about 2001's uh, three-episode OVA. Reader Die. Now, now, Reader Die has like a real is really important to me uh, as a anime uh, enthusiast. Um, just because when I was, it basically it came out on DVD just as I was getting my first DVD player, and I was starting to buy up, you know, manga. I'm sorry, anime DVDs. In particular, I was picking up stuff like. What was my first ones? I got it. Macross Plus, Ghost in the Shell, Akira, uh, Royal Space Force. And this Reader Die was the first anime I was really recommended by the by, by a friend on the internet. Um, I basically bought it sight unseen. And ever since, it's always just kind of been a cornerstone of my favorite animes of all time. Hmm. For those who don't know, Reader Die is the... The 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 Reader Die OVA is the animated version of uh, Hedy Hedy Yerky Karada's uh, 
read or die light novel series, which the light novels began in the year 2000, um, ran for 12 or 13 volumes, which we'll talk about soon. But the, the anime, uh, was produced in 2001, I believe is probably part of the promoting the light novels because that's how it usually works in Japan is that you get a hit and then you get the multimedia expansion yes. to promote, promote it. Um, of course, the the North America or English-speaking countries in general never got the light novels. I did some research on this. They've never been translated. They haven't even been fan-translated. Again, there are 12 of them, possibly 13, because what happened was 11 of them came out you know, in a reasonable succession, and then, episode, then volume 12 got delayed for like almost, I want to say like almost five or six years. Uh, and only just came out in June 2016. And remember, this series started in 2000. Mm. Um, apparently, a 13th was announced for the following year, but I have no confirmation of it ever came out. Yeah. So, I apparently, and, and Volume 13 was supposed to be the final conclusion. So, Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. 13 what the and scur- Yeah, I don't know what the current status of the light novels are. Yeah, transla- official translations of Japanese light novels is more or less non-existent over here. If it's not written by Nisi Osen, you've got really little chance of it getting over. I mean, the Dirty Pair novels are probably some of the most famous sci-fi novels, sure. short novels. We only got the first two. Oh. Which is like the first... Well, yeah, I think we got the first one, which is actually the first two fused together, and then we got the second one, which is the third and fourth fused together. Well, pro- so we pro- technically got four, but... Pro- Prose translation is time consuming and it's yes. hard to know what'll be a hit and what won't be. Like I think we're just getting uh Legends of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah. That's uh, been going for about a year now and couple, it's taken yeah. a long time. Um, we're getting Bacano and when what the Bacano anime came out ten years ago now? It's been a while. Yeah. This stuff is, you know it it's difficult enough getting anime out there. It's difficult enough getting manga out there, stuff that isn't the real like, if it's not a shonen thing, there's not a guarantee it's going to sell very well. So, particularly when it comes to light novels. I mean, there isn't even an official translation. Get this. There isn't an English translation of Grave of the Fireflies. Ooh. And yeah. that got adapted into arguably one of Ghibli's most well-known movies. So, if that can't get an English translation, there's not much hope for anything else. So, of course, without the light novels, um, sorry. So after the light novels during like the first year of their publication, um, Reader Die also got a manga, um, which ran for four volumes. Um, but here's the thing, and this is based on my research, is that the, the light novels, the manga... And the OVA and the TV series that came out, all three of them, although they share characters and themes, they are unconnected. Characters' backstories are different. Mm. Uh, events are different. They are not a cohesive whole. No, they have the character IP and that's it. So you get the interesting thing where in uh, we in, in the English-speaking countries got the Reader Die OVA. This three-episode spinoff, if you will. Of I think it's more connected to the manga than it is the light novels, but again, it's a bit vague. Mm. Um, 
basically some details get lost or not mentioned in the OVA, which are like big deals in the books. Like uh, Yamako Reedman, who's the main character of the series overall, she has a best friend who doesn't make an appearance at all in the OVA, but is the main character of the series. Is she the one who's mentioned in the first episode? Is like posting the post-it notes all over the apartment, yes. and then we never yes. see her. I wondered yeah. where that was going. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's her character is named Nay Nay Nay. Yes, and her, her character is basically completely absent from that from the OVA, and is the main character of the TV series that follows. Okay. So and, it, it doesn't go nowhere. It just goes nowhere in the OVA. Okay. And in Yamako has a a uh, somewhat romantic relationship with her with the previous uh, her her um, her predecessor, who is also her trainer, mm-hmm. but he never makes an appearance. I think he gets name dropped once in the in the uh, TV series. It's been a while since I watched it, but basically his character is like completely absent. So yeah, so you got these these basically f- not not only three because the manga after the four volume manga came out that 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 was about Yamako Reedman's character in the uh, in the in the British Library. There was a spinoff manga called Reader Dream, which is yes. about Reader Dream is a, almost a completely different universe. Yeah, I'm told it's Reader- not connected. I'm told um, Yumiko the manga's not. Uh, the real dream. I'm told Yumiko makes a cameo in it, and yeah. then that's it. So... But the three main characters of that series get incorporated back into the main Reader Die series in the TV series, and they become also become main characters of that. So it's very unusual how how diffused this 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 franchise has become within its own, you know, its own franchise. Hmm. And we, as you know, English speakers, only got a very small bit of any of this. We got the OVA, the TV series, and the two manga runs. And that's it. And since then, there's been another spin-off uh, manga that never got translated, and as best I can tell, has not been scanned at all, called Reader Die Rehabilitation, uh, which was a one-volume one like uh, short story in like a post-apocalyptic future uh I'm really interested to read it, but I, you know, there's no way to do so, or at least not without, I guess, buying the official book, but I haven't been able to track it down yet. But, so just with all that background, we're going to be talking about the OVA specifically, Um, because the OVA has got a lot to unpack, and as much as I like the TV series and want to talk about it, it's uh, a little too long to dissect in a whole Yeah, it's a little bit too long for the show. For yeah. reviews, I mean, we may cover it in the future. We may cover a couple episodes in the future. I've, I'm, I'm sort probably going to sit fans. down and watch it. Yeah, so. and if he watches it, maybe we'll talk about it then. Yeah, that'd be sweet. So you did you revisit it recently, or I rewatched just, it. I you rewatched, re-watched it, it recently in preparation for this episode. Sweet. So we'll start off with your take, as obviously someone who's watched it several times before, and then I'll kind of interject. Yeah, I've seen it about five times. No, you, so you've got plenty of it. I've only seen it the once. I briefly glanced over several episodes whilst I was waiting for you to sign on. But, um, yeah, I've only really seen it the once. So, if you want to well, give your, your first what's, what's your hot take? What's your first take? My hot take is that this is actually kind of amazing. Okay. If you were to... You could almost imagine this as being something Alan Moore would write up. Like it's very League of Gentlemen-esque. Really? League of Gentlemen-esque... Obviously, without 
all the... Well, <laughs> if you were to substitute the public domain characters with historical figures... Mm-hmm. Yes, because all the vi- all the villains in this are clones of historical figures, yes. of which I have ri- I have researched and created a list of, which we will go over later. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's, but of course our main characters they're not, you know, um, public, they're neither public domain characters nor are they historical. No, they're, they're they are very original characters, but. I get the idea of what you're going for because they are they are they are super powered individuals who are being, who are who are um, who are um, that's what I'm looking for. Part of a, an not an Avengers as in the Marvel comics, but as in the British spy TV show. Sense, you know, yeah, agents. they work for they, they work for the British the British Library, uh, which in this universe is like one of the most powerful organizations on Earth because in this universe books are power. Um. Unlimited word, word, power. Yeah, words are power. Uh, power can be, like, re- in a real literal sense, power can be transmitted through written words, uh, just notes and margins. Basically, the most brilliant people on Earth can create things that are, like, if read by an, or- an ordinary person, can be super dangerous. Mm. Um, everything's a forbidden library. Everything's a forbidden section. Right. Everything's got, yeah, forbidden books, forbidden knowledge. It's almost got a Cthulhu-esque tinge to it, but not quite. Because some of these books, you know, just by reading them, they make you kill yourself. God, could you imagine if the Necronomicon existed in this universe? Yeah, and Yamako would want to read it. Because Mm. that's... And that's Yamako's whole gimmick, is that she is a bibliophile. She loves reading. It's all she wants to do. Mm -hmm. But she also has the power to, I want to say, telekinetically control paper as a medium. And basically produce... um, Objects and edges. Objects, blades, uh, armor. She's like the Green Lantern, except she uses paper. And and that may and, and, and that right there is one of the big appeals of the show, is that your main character's got a really interesting power. It's it's really powerful power, but it's got clear limitations. It's not very good in water, it's not very good in fire. Um and if she runs out of ammo, she's you know, somewhat screwed. Screwed. So she's not all powerful, but when she is on top, she can be one of the most powerful. It's also worth noting that she's not athletic. Oh yeah, she's not she physically is the fit. worst. Yeah, she's at a, moving around. She's a klutz. She's not the klutz of the series, but she is a klutz. Mm. But she can fight, and she, when she when she has to, she does. Um. I just really enjoyed the fight sequence in the final episode where she went... I mean, each each of the three OVAs has its own really, really brilliant, quite unique and memorable fight sequences. But I really particularly enjoyed the one um, where um, Yumiko goes up against uh, the, the samurai Genai Hiraga, who is a historical yes. figure. He was an actual, actual individual who, in this universe, can produce lightsaber-esque... Electrical. Not only can he, he can levitate and stuff. He's a he's a fucking Jedi in this OVA. Sure. Um, well, not a Jedi, maybe a Sith. But um, there was a really really good fight going on there, and basically, <laughs> basically Yomiko was just clinging to everything because she's not physically fit enough to prance about and backwhirl like he can. Right. So it was it was very clear showing that although she has the natural skill, she doesn't have. The physical ability to keep up with it. She's not very graceful. 
No. But she gets the job done. Um, and I like that infallibility in a main character. Yeah, and there's that too. Yeah, she's definitely not... She's easily distracted. She's very flighty. Which I guess is just another term for distracted. One track But she's, she's not... She's not... She's loyal, but she's not like a, she's not like a soldier. Yes, she's a very interesting main character. You know, in terms even in deeply flawed, deeply. Uh, yeah, I don't know about deeply flawed. She's a little, uh, a little bit superficial because all she wants to do is read. That's like her everything. Nothing else matters to her. Oh, yeah, she's an Every, escapist. Everything she does is to is to reach her primary goal of reading more and getting her hands on rare books. That's why she works for the British libraries that she has the opportunity to read these books. She wouldn't otherwise be able to. Mm. That's like her whole justification. Yeah. Of what she does. But the pull up. While all, sorry. Go while on. also being like insanely powerful, you know, uh, asset to the government. Of course, yeah. she's also Japanese, but she works for the British Library. So that's the other thing about the show that there's you a lot of glow trotting. There's a lot of right, yeah. The thematically, the show could be described, I would say, as a spy thriller. Um, well, you can even tell that, that down if we talk about the the opening for a bit. The theme tune is effectively a Bond send up. Sure, and it's a generally you get a montage, and every episode has a different intro. Uh, same music, but new, new, uh, new art assets. Yes, new visuals. Which, which is basically creating a montage of events that don't actually happen in the show, but suggest like car chases and snipers and and all the stuff you would find in a spy thriller. Because that, and that's definitely what the and the t- that's the tone that the show's going for, with a with a superhuman superhero aspect to it because all of your main spy characters Yarmako who has the the telekinetic uh paper thing going on you've got Nancy who is who's the more traditional skilled sexy super spy mm-hmm. she's effectively she's got, I mentioned the Avengers she's basically Diana Riggs character from the Avengers or Black Widow from you know, you the other Avengers yeah you see the other Avengers yeah, yeah. and Emma Peel as yes um but she has the superpower of being able to phase through objects pass through things and then there's drake who from the outside kind of looks like a muscly uh gun guy you know the the traditional mercenary for hire i think it's implied that he has super strength it definitely appears that he has if not super strength then durability yeah because he basically gets thrown off a skyscraper at one point in this and mm-hmm. he and he just climbs back up he also tears a robot in part with his bare hands yes and that and and, and he in in the first episode when uh, Yamako creates a big paper airplane to like catch up with the flying oh he throws it <laughs> he chucks with, it with so both of them in two, it yeah two grown women you know I'm sure that's not super challenging for uh, for a strong person but it, you know chuck them off a building you know with a reasonable velocity to achieve flight I mean I think I'm pretty sure he's, it's implied he's super strong hmm. but Drake, Drake's a cool character because he's. <laughs> He's the straight man in all of this. He Basically, is. He's, he, he's the one who's always it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Giant stag beetle, really? <laughs> Giant cyborg stag beetle. But um, yeah, he basically is. He's 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 the Hellboy character. He's the one who's going, yeah. wow, my life is surreal. Mm. 
Uh, he's always talking about his daughter. Does his daughter ever appear in the TV show? She's always more of a character... Um, Who's mentioned? Well, no, she's... Yeah, basically she gets mentioned a lot. She She's his motivation. Oh, okay. But she never actually it, appears. So. I don't think so. At least I don't recall she does. I may be wrong about that, but... Drake's not a, really a main character. He's a supporting character, so oh, okay. they never really they don't delve too deep into his background or in terms of like putting uh, they don't put the camera on him that much, mm. you know, for that sort of thing. But he does come back. He's definitely in the in in the TV series. So yeah, with so, the main trio, talk, let's talk about like the two head office figures, the M and the Q of the the series. Who would be Joker, who has the most peculiar English accent I've ever heard. I sh- we should probably clarify, we watched the dub. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Oh, you didn't? You you did. I watched the dub. Well, that's oh. good then, because we have the perspective of... I mean, let's talk about the dub real quick. Just real quick. It's not bad. Back when I was first, of course, getting into anime in the early 2000s, I, watched, I listened to dubs. And, to be fair, Read or Die has a decent dub. About ten years after that, I basically decided, yeah, sub only. I'm a sub only guy, and so going back, this is like the first time I've watched the show subbed. Mm. Yeah, the last couple of times I always watched it dubbed, and so listening to it subbed was an interesting experience because it was almost like watching it for the first time. Yeah, I I've pretty much got the same story. I was exposed mainly to dubs. Ghost in the Shell was dubbed. Evangelion was sure. dubbed. Gundam Wing sure. was dubbed. Um, Cowboy Bebop was dubbed because that was another one of the early ones and to this day is Cowboy Bebop and Black Lagoon are the only two that I will insist on watching the dub over the subs because the dubs for those two series are really really good and you know what I agree they are really good but there's still not a lot of reason to listen to dubs if you got a choice I don't know. But that's just me. I, I can't justify I can't justify why those two, other than they are just really good dubs. Um, to the point where I actually feel they fit the mood better than the Japanese version. Um, mm. But other than that, I am primarily subs as well. Um, I mean, the only time I'll usually watch a dub is if for hilarity version. Like, have you ever tried watching Excel Saga with the dub? Oh, you is, know what? The first time the first time I ever watched it, it was dubbed. Yeah, it, that one's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, mostly dubbed. Uh, subs, even. Um, but that being said, I do agree. The Read or Die has a perfectly serviceable dub. So you you found Joker's uh, um, accent to be weird, exaggerated, even by uh-huh. even by posh toff southerner standard English. It's uh, it's exaggerated. I see. It's 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 like me pulling on a hillbilly accent for someone who lives in I don't know Montreal. Uh-huh. Just don't it's do very it. Interesting. I don't I don't know. It's it's peculiar, but um, it's not that bad. It's certainly a, a much better dub than any of the Helsing dubs were because Integra and those had the worst English accent imaginable. Um. Well, in fact, all actually, the English characters in Helsing had... In fact, Helsing's a really good comparison to this show. Other than being in, set in England. Because being set in England. Yeah. Because that's the thing. You're British, and this is set in... And this, hilariously, although the main character is Japanese, it is primarily based around the British Secret yes. Service. How about all those T-references? 
Would you would you would you delay dealing with the fate of the world by having tea first? Milk goes in first. She made it wrong. I see. Um, <laughs> oh god, I've just started a flame war. Um, yeah, yeah, we probably would do. We're the one nation in the world where the apocalypse could be happening, and we'll go just put the kettle on and talk about it. Um, but then I'm a coffee drinker, so I got it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, I did find that kind of hilarious. Just go, oh, I'm sorry, it took so long to make. It's just kind of like. You made a lot of cups. It takes a while. Unless you've got a prophesized kettle. But, um, yeah, I do find that hilarious. That, ooh, tea. Ooh. But, no, we're not like that. Stop it. That's racist. It kind of isn't, but... <laughs> no, I, 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 get, I get it. It's funny. It's a stereotype. So, so, overall, what did you feel about the show? Overall, I dug it. I dug it a lot. I dug the aesthetic. I like this kind of... It, it, this is a specific style, and we've talked about something like this before. It's not steampunk. It's right. not even particularly punkish, but it's got these um, kind of 18th century aesthetics to it Yep. that, when intertwined with kind of the, the early 2000s looks... Right, um, the bulky cell phones. I mean, I, what I found hilarious was Joker at one point pulls out a cell phone that is an old wooden handled, right, ear to mouth wireless. Why? Why? It's a wireless. It's hilarious. Um, I I really dig that stuff because it doesn't go the full self aware steampunk aesthetic. It has a sp- specific. It's postmodernism almost, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it would be called. I I really dig all that. I really loved the characters, and I really do love how it's a self-contained story, and it does actually have actual tragedy, because we should probably get into a little bit about what Nancy's deal is. Yeah, Nancy is introduced introduced in the first episode. Um, she, at first, you're not supposed to know whose side she's on. It's suggested that she's on the enemy side, and that you, when she meets Yamako, that she... You know, it's going to spur conflict, but then she's introduced as basically Yamako's partner and that she was undercover, you know, trying to recover this book. Because the whole plot is there are these two volumes of a book that have that that are one of a kind that the British Library wants to get so that they can protect them. Um, And then there's this other organization trying to get their hands on them first. They get one volume of it right away. Uh, by by burning by the bomb- White House to the ground. Bur- well, th- they burn the White House down by mistake because they're trying to find the Library of Congress, which is up the roads a ways. I do find and that they- kind of hilarious. Though. Then they burn that down too. Yes, basically to cover the tracks. So they get the first volume that way, and then the second volume, I guess, has gotten to the hands of a very like obscure collector, and so Yamako is sent to buy it, and she doesn't have any money. But she basically gets it loaned to her, and it turns out the book is the one the British Library wants, and Nancy was the one who was assigned to go get it. Or was she? Mm. Because then she, Nancy is, basically Nancy turns up, you know, doing her Emma Peel thing, and then all these super-powered freaks start turning up to steal Yamako's book. Um... Which we should talk about. I mean, the, in the opening sequence, we we, we, we see that electric samurai guy. Uh, Jenna Hiraga. Uh, yep. And his whole deal is that his his original... Because these guys are all clones. They're all called Aijin. They're clones of historical figures that 
Um, they're basically a discarded uh, cloning program that was used to... How do I phrase this? Um, it was a research branch in order to help preserve the life of a character called the Gentleman, who is basically the head of the British Library, who is super old and super cybernetic and probably going to die of old age. Mm. So, and he's got he's like a repository of like all this knowledge in that. So a lot of what the, the, the British Library is about is basically preserving his life because of, of how important he is. And the cloning program was one of the failed attempts to extend his life. So now so, all his creations have kind of gone rogue. So basically, yeah, all these creations that were part of that program got loose or got in hold of their own technology so they could like control their own destiny. It's almost a Blade Runner situation. Mm. And that oh, all yes. Clo- Good. Yes. Where all these replicants, replicants have basically decided to assert uh, self, uh, self-awareness against their creators. Sadly, and- none of them are Rutger Hoher. And their and their solution is kill everybody on Earth because because they have a giant submersible Lovecraftian monstrosity. We should probably talk about like all because there's not a massive list of these Igins. So no, I we found just, a, we just I, I've got a list. Yeah, I've got a list, and I know who they are, or mostly who they are. We've mentioned Gen Hiraga. Yep he he was a uh, An electric a, samurai uh, in this version. Yep, well he 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 apparently was a. Um, had a lot of interest in electricity during the uh, the Edo period, and basically he had one of those old style boxes that basically creates static electricity and just demonstrates static electricity. Mm. So he was he was a great he, he he was great at showing that it's off. It's a static orb. Yeah, exactly mm. that sort of thing. So basically, the show extrapolates that idea into like electric like electric weaponry, which is pretty um, cool. He levitates all over the show and sets the White House on fire. It's cool. Yeah. So the green weirdo on the on the big on the giant mechanical bug. Yeah, he's an interesting one. Uh, Fabre, Jean Henri Fabre. Yeah, he was a French entomologist who didn't have any classical uh, science training, but basically defined how um, entomology study would be conducted into the modern era. Mm. Yeah, so he's all about bugs, and throughout the show, basically he gets killed three times, and every time he gets killed, he molts. And becomes a different a different character. Yeah, he starts off as an old man. Old man. Comes back as a kid. And yep. then comes back as a slightly older kid. A really weird looking older kid. He becomes a Kamen Rider mutant. Sure. Yeah, it's... Uh, mm. <laughs> he, that one's kind of free. And then he dies moments after that. So yeah. Yep. He, he's Great. not coming back for the TV show. The next one is... <sighs> Next one's kind of going into spoiler territory, but we've kind of already discussed Nancy's backstory, eh. so we should probably just go into. Wait, which it. one are you talking about? Uh, Matahari. Oh no, no, I was going to talk about uh, the guy with the glider. Oh, Otto Lindholm. Yeah, Lindholm. Um, he was one of the early pioneers of gliders before the Wright brothers disco- uh, invented uh, power flight. Yeah, and in this version, I... he's Vulture. Yeah, basically, it's not much of a glider if you got a rocket engine attached to it, really. No. And probably flying around with a hand grenades attached to is not a good idea. Uh, then getting into the second episode, there's a Genju Sanjo. That one is weird because he, he's a fictional character. Well, no, he's a real character. Oh. Uh, or, or, or Genjo's name itself is a fictionalized version of a real-life person. Oh, he because this Buddhist... is Journey to the West, isn't it? Well, th- that's what it gets to, but 
Journey to the West was based on a previous uh, um, series of works um, about a Buddhist priest who traveled to India, basically, and wrote down his journey. And then that became the basis of Journey to the West. And then this this resurrected version of that priest takes on all the powers and aesthetic of the Journey to the West character. It doesn't take on any of the, the monkey aspects, though. Well, not really, no. Because I'm... Unfortunately, he's got, the, he's got the power pole and the fire breathing and the and the flying, flying uh, cloud. Yes, he takes out a satellite. That was amazing. He also also maybe part Moses. Yes, because he he, he he was parts a fun character. It was kind of annoying yeah. that he was disposable in the second. He's a he's a second act villain. Well, he takes up the whole episode, so really he's like the big big bad. He's like one of the most powerful guys we meet in this show. Yeah. Especially when you compare the next ones to turn up. I mean, still Stephen Wilcox is a kind of he's just kind of there. Yeah, I mean, he never even gets he, he never he never gets called by name as a character, but you see his name on the on the um, on machinery powered equipment machinery, which he works with Otto to produce the glider. Yeah, but he also he was the one who built the the rocket um, the base. Yes. The floating submersible base. The micro unicron. And then, of course, we come to the villain of our piece, uh, Ikyua. Ikyu. Who, Ikyu, who is also a Buddhist monk. Um, but apparently, I, he's a little complicated for me, poor Westerner, um, because he's got, apparently got, like, cultural roots in Japan that go way beyond anything I could even describe. Basically, he's very well-known culturally. Yes. He... He brought Zen ideas to Japan and incorporated them more into Highly the influential monk. Highly who, such. Who is, is doesn't obviously... I, we, we're not historians, unfortunately, no. and this was the first I'd heard of him. Yeah, and why he goes bad in the show, I guess, is just sort of a twist on like what he represents. Oh, yeah, his ideology might not work out in the modern day. Yeah, or, yeah, something along those lines. But, I don't know, it, it's... he's. It, He's introduced late in the in the series, so you don't get to know him very quickly. But as a megalomaniac, he's pretty easy to understand, at least yeah. as you know as, as far as the show goes. But but his actual you know his roots, his clone uh, body, it's got a lot to it. Mm. Is all. And of course, then there's Beethoven, who of course is a doesn't have a, a single uh, spoken line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a uh, he's a clumsy Saint Bernard, of course. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that movie never happened. <laughs> but um, Beethoven is just a terrible comic, anyway. But anyway, moving on. The actual Beethoven, he is actually really comic. No, not Marmaduke. Oh, Beethoven. Oh, Be- oh Beethoven was. A- oh, oh. I got- Same idea though. Beethoven's very much a Marmaduke ripoff. I got my dogs messed up. They're not Garfield. I'm sorry, and they're not Fred Bassett. Um, so yeah, the actual just, Beethoven. Just, he he produces this super weapon. Yes, this is what the whole OVA is based around. Is basically it's not so much the books that were important. It's the fact that he had owned the books in life and had written in the margins this this song that, if listened to by humans, will cause you to kill yourself. And so the whole plan is to get the books, get the song, have Ed Beethoven got play it. it. Hmm? Ed Sheeran got a hold of it. It was his last Ooh. album. Ed Sheeran? Oh, the joke's not worked. No? <laughs> you don't know who Ed Sheeran is. Don't worry, it's fine. I, I don't. That's cool. We'll cut this bit out. I'll explain later. 
he, he, so he, 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 the plan is to have this Beethoven clone play this song, and everyone on Earth will kill themselves. Yeah. It's zen. It's pretty grim when you think about it. It's Ivan Ooze's plan. Make everyone jump <laughs> to your death. But, um, yeah, no. Beethoven was a tad wasted for me. I, I, I think we're supposed to assume that he and Wilcox, even though they don't get death scenes like the others, just kind right. of died. I mean, I think yeah. Beethoven never actually left the rocket when it exploded. Oh, no, that he went to space. And he never returned. I don't know, maybe he's in TV series. But um, th- does this trend of historical figures, because with the um, the Aijins no longer, you know, their base right. of operations is gone, are they present in the television show? Or is this OVA exclusive? I haven't watched it in like 10 years, oh, okay. but I'm pretty, sh- pretty sure, no. I'm okay. pretty sure it's his own thing. So that bodes well in the OVA as like a self-contained story. Oh, it's I, very yeah. self-contained. I mean, anyone could watch this without watching. I mean, that's the te- kind of the testament to it, where it has the light novels and the manga, mangas. And the anime. I'm well, no, 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 no. Let me finish my thought. Sorry, go on. You have the original light novels and you have the mangas and the, the two separate mangas, but the, the OVA itself is a completely standalone work that you can watch and you can enjoy and that's all you'll ever need. The TV series is a direct sequel to the OVA. It, it, the, the series, by the way, is called R.O.D. the TV. Yeah. Not Read or Die the TV. Not Read or Dream the TV. It's just R.O.D. R.O.D. the TV. And the reason why it's called that is because it is taking the Reader Die and the Reader Dream and merging them together without necessarily being either of them. Ah. Uh, I get it now. Interesting. Yeah. But it is a direct sequel to this OVA. So if you want to watch... The TV series, you do kind of want to watch the OVA first because when it starts, it starts out not as connected, but it, by the end, it's very connected. Mm. Um, and you know, the TV series is actually really good. I enjoyed it a lot, and it's a lot of the same sort of thing you find in the OVA, although it is mm, no, it's it's mostly the same. Stretched um, out, yeah. But of course, if they've got to, I mean, it must have several story arcs, or are they all episodic? Well, it's got, it, it, like like most good series, it's got a overall series arc, but yeah, it's got, and it's got a bunch of standalone episodes and a couple of multi-parters, um, but overall the whole series is one story. Nice. Um, I like it a lot, and I think it's a good follow-up to this OVA, but this OVA has, is, I think is ultimately superior because it is a tighter package. Um, even though it's got a little less character stuff going on. Mm. In the character wise, this OVA's main thrust is the Yomiko Nancy relationship because yes. Nancy spoiler alert turns out to be a double agent, which makes sense because she is also a Aijin clone based on the historical figure of, uh, Mata Harari, who was apparently a uh, World War One spy, although apparently in the historical context she was like a really bad one. Mm. Although she, it was it was glamorized a lot in the media. Yeah, yeah. Basically, she started out as a German spy, tried to tried to pivot to being a double agent French spy, but eventually the French executed execu- the French executor anyway for being a German spy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Nancy is apparently the reincarnation of this woman in the more glamorous way 
of being a really effective super spy. Femme fatale. Mm. Femme fatale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I dig, I, I dig all that. So, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the clone connections are interesting, but they are played very loose. Mm. And actually, this is the first time I really went in-depth on who these all these guys were. I, the last oh, you few don't times need watched, to know. You really don't oh, need to know. Oh, you do not need to know. But the last few times, the first few times I watched it, I never did the research. Mm. And now, finding this out about Nancy's character actually makes it a little bit more interesting. But it is ultimately, you know, superficial details. I mean, honestly, Matahari and Beethoven are the only ones that people are going to, you know... I mean... Most yeah, most I, people most aren't going to know who they're either Japanese, or... they're, they're either Japanese culture or, or they're really obscure. Yeah, I mean, if, unless you are an, uh, um, entomologist. an entomologist, you're not going to know who Jean Henry Faber is. And Steve, but it does add, a, yeah. it does add a lot of flavor to the, it to the proceedings. And I think Gen Hanzo has a visual recognition. So even if you don't know, the yeah, have you seen Dragon Ball? We've, everyone has seen Dragon Ball. As soon as that cloud comes out, you knew exactly where this came from. Which is what confused me, because I, I thought it was a fictional, but apparently it's a lot more complicated, as you say. Exactly. There's layers to it. Which so, what, which was one you know one of those things that sort of confused me when I first watched it, is because I, I got the impression that all these people were historical, but this guy is very clearly based on a fictional character. What's yeah. the deal there? So I, you know, finally digging a little deeper, now it makes sense. Yeah. It's it's a convoluted amalgamation. Exactly. Speaking of fictional characters, though, <laughs> what's your opinion on the president in this series? Especially the you scene... Watched, you you yeah. watched the dub, so you got that a lot. You, that's the one thing the dub's got that the, the subtitle tracks don't. Yeah. Just how much of a George Bush stand-in that guy is. Yeah. It's not just that, though, especially considering there is... In light of recent events... Or recent things that have been put on Twitter. Mm. The whole nuclear missile big red button on their desk thing. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but yeah, that does have it's it's shades of our own time. Yeah. That's I, I, I don't know. I just I, I, I found that funny. But he was very that character is very much George played Bush. up to be yeah. to be a very pathetic George Bush Jr. Yeah. That was uh, I did find that hilarious though. With a, with, with he a even great pisses himself gag. twice. <laughs> yeah. Twice, I think he's like four times. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Americas are not treated very respectfully in this. Oh series. no! Oh no! You have a fleet that gets nuked. Ooh, yes, lasered. <laughs> it gets lasered to death, and it was amazing. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna say the final verdict: read or die, is a thumbs up. Yep. Series holds up animation wise, holds up story wise. I don't know how hard it is to get a hold of anymore. Um, I'm not sure if it's streaming. I know there was a Blu-ray box set that collected the OVA and the TV series in H. Well, in upscale HD, um, that was released through uh, Anaplex. But being an Anaplex release, it was like two hundred dollars and is now extremely out of print. limited. Yeah, they that, did that that's... for Bubblegum Crisis, and it's not easy to get a hold of. Yeah. So, and of course, it was published by well. The OVA was published by Manga Entertainment in North America, which I think is who published it in the UK for you. They did, and it's still in print. Well, it's not in print, but it's still available. That's the thing. I don't think it's currently licensed. or if Because, again, Anaplex, for whatever reason, 
once their licenses expire, they are not sending them out again. They yeah. really want to sell everything themselves. They're kind of a pain in the ass for that reason. Um, so, yeah, basically the licenses is currently held hostage by Anaplex. Yeah. It, in terms of licensing it's, in the UK, I think it's it's still licensed by manga. and Because typically when it comes to licensing, if a company loses the license to something over here, it is pulled from... Um, retail, not pulled from shelves, but it's pulled from retail websites. So you might be able to find it on the shelves, but you might not really be able to... that drastically. Except for Amazon, it's oh. still available for Amazon. But in the case of Read or Die, Read or Die it is still available from places like The Hut and um, HMV online. I think so... it just—I I would think it just get get delisted if they ran out of stock because. When things go out of print, it doesn't mean you can't sell it. It only means that you can't warehouse it anymore. So basically, mm. the, the distributor has to destroy all their copies, but retailers don't. Mm. At least that's my understanding, at least in North America. I don't know. It it, it seems to vary, because this is this, this release came out in like 2005 for the OVA. So whether it's still in print is debatable, but I'm fairly certain Amanga Entertainment still owned the distribution rights here for the OVA. The TV series has never received a release here. Not not in the UK, because uh, Genion released that in North America. Oh, okay. And though you guys did get Genion releases, uh, sometimes you didn't get all of them. No. It's very, very slapdash here at the best of times. Yeah, there's no Reader Die streaming on Crunchyroll, so... Damn it. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, Reader Die. Excellent. Holds up. I enjoyed it. I think you will too. Brilliant thumbs up. I absolutely, I, yeah, definitely. And as we already said, I will be checking out the TV series at some point, so you can expect us to talk about that in future, possibly. So, for our next episode that we will do after this one, I think we're going to do something that Zach is suggesting. Yes. Something kind of my... unique. Yes, it's a very... It's a very peculiar little OVA series. It only ran for three episodes in 1987 before being summarily, uh, summarily and prematurely discontinued. It was never completed. It is the cult sci-fi mecha classic hyper-combat unit Dangayo. It's a personal favorite of mine. Or guilty pleasure, depends on how I feel. <laughs> And you guys got an official release for that. We did. We, we got a butchered I don't official think we, release. I don't think we got one. I think you may have done it. Let me check Blu-ray.com. I am investigating now. Blu-ray.com is not always the best for DVDs, though. Sometimes they still yeah. don't have a lot of stuff on there. Hold on. How do you spell Dangayo? You, you guys did get Dangayo, but it is currently yeah. out of print and selling of for crazy money. You got, Man- you got it from Manga Entertainment as well. Oh, they released it too. I did not realize that. We'll go into detail when we talk about it in the next episode, but basically, um, official releasings for Hyper Combat Unit Dangayo, it would seem in English language in general, were massively butchered, which means that, unfortunately, we are probably going to have to use fan-translated dubs for this next one. Whereas we yes. use the official manga release for Read or Die. But wherever possible... Do support the official releases. Always. Always. I want more yeah. of it. Even, even even if they make it real, real hard. Just support it. Support so, it with uh, your wallet. 
So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I know this was our first episode. We've got some growing pains to get through. Um, if you enjoyed what you listened to, of course, I don't have an email set up because we don't have a name yet. We'll work it out I'll, for the next episode. I will, I, I will fill all this in post-production. In the description box. Or, yeah, as you say, put a put an edit in. We can work but around thank you for, at some point. But thank you for joining us, and I hope you, you know, join us again next time uh, when we give this Dan Gaio thing a go. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>